The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading comes from Galatians 3, 23-29. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offering, heirs according to promise. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Joshua. Love him when he says faith in that Irish accent. That's so awesome. Uh, thanks for reading that for us, buddy. Well, and um, please come tonight if you can. Um, love to have you if you have questions about our church. And uh, just would love to connect and meet. Um, uh, Aaron is, is on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call her out. She's doing Whole30 right now. So she's breaking all her rules to have you over. So please... Um, uh, come over and have that. Well, um, you know, with all the uh, with all the plenty of things we could talk about going on on in our country, let's talk about issues going on in other people's countries. What's up with the royal family? You've been reading all that. I'm sure you have. Many of you tabloid followers. Some of you may not know, um, but uh, Harry and Meghan are apparently as. Many of the headlines say, I guess, stepping back from their senior roles, whatever that really means. Uh, obviously, there's rifts and difficulties and stuff like that, things that we think we actually know a lot more about because we read people.com, and yet we know nothing. Um, but I do know this, that uh, it is interesting, and we, we've been following this family for a long time, right? Uh, especially this couple. Their uh, uh, wedding ceremony was just, you know, unbelievable. Everybody was watching that, uh, recorded it, um, watching the elaborate uh, nature of it, you know, when they presented themselves and the beauty coming out of the church. I mean, everybody was like, gosh, this is incredible. And now there's these rifts and, you know, everybody just wants to be in it. You know, why? Because we, we so want to understand what's going on. Like, we, we read all this stuff about uh, the royal family and others like that because we really want to, like, we wish we were inside the house. <laughs> uh, we hope people and Us Magazine and all these things can give us just a little, can we just, can we just sit in there for a moment and just hear what's going on for real and, uh, and can only know so much. But the interesting thing is long before, and you could ask the question, it really is a good question, what is it like to grow up in the royal family? What's it like to grow up in any family, particularly that house? You could ask that question, but long before Meghan Markle and Harry's wedding and all that stuff came on the scene, there, there was a lot going on in that house, right? Just like there is a lot going on in all of our houses. And to the degree that we may leave our house, you know, whatever degree Meghan and Harry are leaving their home, and we leave ours, but wherever we go, we're always taking our home with us. You know, we may be trying to leave difficulty, we may grow up in a certain way, but what are we doing? We're always taking with us all that grew us up, all that was a part of it. <laughs> we, it never leaves us. 
Uh, this is why all of us are in that, that boat. We all, we all are that way. That's why the great song, uh, The House That Built Me, right? One of the greatest songs that's just been over and over uh, and, and played, and, and it's so uh, heralded as one of the, the greatest songs is because, you know, there's the, the lines of, if I could just reach back and, and touch this place, smell, be a part of it, I could, I could feel a part of me again. But also, in reality, we're taking it all with us. <laughs> Isn't that what the song's really saying? It grew her up and it took her out. And that's what we're dealing with. You know, the Bible, particularly in this passage, Paul is, is ingenious in what he does here. Because what he does is he is trying to tell us what is it like to grow up in one of two houses? What's it like to grow up under the law and the strain of it, the difficulty of it? And what's it like to grow up in Christ? And it's really that simple. He uses actually personification to describe that relationship to us. Because in this letter written in the 50s, 60s, 80, not 1950s, 60s, the 50s, 60s, 80, we get to read this letter, unpack it, and look at it. He's actually trying to write to a church that's been struggling for a while with the fact that they understood at first, hey, this is what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, believe in him. But this group came behind Paul and said, you know what, if you really want to be a Christian, if you want to get over the finish line, you get over the hump and really say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a follower of Christ, then you got to kind of pick up these things. you got to pick up a new system, these new rules. you got to be a little different. you got to be a little more Jewish, a little more this, a little more that, a little more rituals, and then you can say you're a Christian. But you can see what that did to them and what it does to us when we pick up those kind of things. It makes us go, wait, what are we really growing up in? What are we really taking on here? <laughs> what does it really mean to be a Christian? Paul is trying to say, look, that's what it's like to continue living under the house of the law and not living in now Christ, which will unpack more soon. So let's look at that as we look at this passage. We're going to look at two, those just two simple things. What is it like to grow up in the, under the house of the law, and what's it like to grow up in Christ? And Paul says this in verse 23. He says, now before faith came... We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming, of, coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, again, Paul is genius giving us personification. And just, this is not to insult your intelligence. This is much for me as it is for you. But just a reminder of personification isn't metaphor or simile. Uh, metaphor and simile in our English dialect is to compare something to something else, Right? This is like that. Personification actually puts human relational life onto something. In other words, uh, the huge storm we had yesterday, it caused the trees to clap, right? That, well, they, they don't have hands. They're, they're not really clapping, but that's us putting personification onto the trees, right? That's the life. And I think it's genius that he did this because... He's wanting to point out something to us. Instead of just saying, it's, this is what it's like to be under the law, he actually puts relational value to living under the law. And he does it in two personifications. One is imprisoned or a prison guard, and the second one is a guardian. And when we hear those, we may put them in our context. Let's, let's see what that actually meant in their context to do that. Because when he says now before faith came, he's not saying that faith didn't exist. See, Abraham and all of those 
Old Testament people you think about, they were looking forward by faith to Jesus. We look backwards, but here's the huge difference what he's saying. Faith in this passage isn't talking about faith believing. It's talking about the fruition of it, that Christ came. So it wasn't like faith didn't exist, but we on this side of Jesus' coming actually get to have something a little different. Our faith is more in fruition because we look backwards and know that Jesus has already come. And he says, but though before we understand we're held captive under the law, imprisoned until the faith would be revealed. He says a prison guard. The first personification of that is is like a prison guard. In other words, he's saying it's like confinement. Uh, it's, it's almost this idea of house arrest where uh, you would have maybe in, in that day, they didn't have an anklet, but they would have actually a, 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 a guard chained to them. This happened to Paul often when he was imprisoned. So he could like live in a house, but he'd have this like guy chained to him. So imagine you, you get to have all the freedom of doing what you want, but then there's this guy yanking your chain over here, literally, and he can't really live life as it is. It's kind of this keeping in and keeping out. It almost reminds me a lot of like, dog, like invisible fences for dogs. It's somewhat like that. Uh, and it, there are these people, friends of mine, that I've asked, okay, let's be honest, have you actually tried the to feel what the shock collar feels like with the invisible fence. And you know, that's a very fraternity type question. And, uh, and I've gotten some fraternity type answers where I've heard, heard, yes, I have put it on my neck and seen what it's like. <laughs> like, that is my kind of guy. Um, so uh, it is kind of like that. It's this idea of confinement. <clears throat> it reminds me of, I cannot remember where I was. I was trying to remember, where is it? I just saw this. I think it was either at a, a game or some of an entertainment event, but I walked in and instead of a normal um, uh, uh, metro police officer, as we have uh, Officer Jake here who takes care of us, uh, there was a, a guy there uh, with the full garb. Uh, he had the bulletproof vest instead of like inside, it was like outside that whole thing. He had his feet spread apart, you know, that like typical like you see. M16 right here, just kind of holding it, just kind of looking around. And you need to kind of go, there, there are two things that kind of pop up when you experience that kind of person. One is, man, really protected. Two is, we're not messing around. Like, this is a serious thing. This is not like just, you know, some officer walking around. This is more of like, you don't do anything. I got all this on me. And that's what it's like. That, that is the, the personification of what the law is like. And many of us have not and, and are still living in a way in types of Christianity. And maybe that's what Christianity is to you, is instead of this freedom to actually experience what it's like to be in relationship with Jesus, you have more of a relationship to the law. And in this sense where it's watching you. And for many of you here, and maybe you're coming from a place, maybe back even into the church. Maybe this is a first time back in a while, or maybe you're exploring, maybe you're a visitor this morning. Maybe Christianity has been that for you. It's a place where it reminds you of how bad you are instead of how free you are. That it highlights your shame, it highlights your sin, it highlights those things. And, and instead of moving beyond that, under, being underneath the law to the freedom we have in Jesus, you remain under the law. Maybe you're here, maybe, that's, maybe that is your idea of Christianity. 
Maybe it is that place where you consistently feel your badness while everybody else continues to be in good. You're bad. Paul is saying that imprisoned coming until the faith would be revealed, that that we need to understand that even though we may feel that, that the reality is faith has been revealed. That is, Jesus has come. It hasn't been hidden. And, and isn't that how it feels? Isn't that how we experience it if we're under the law in that sense, under that type of way, that it feels as though, is there ever going to be an end to me feeling this bad? At the end of our service, we're going to sing a song called Arise, My Soul Arise, one of the greatest hymns we can sing. I love it. But that is a song of truth saying, arise my soul, arise, shake off your guilty fears and rise. Not because we have some experience, but because there's a reality that faith has been revealed to tell you, to set you free from the imprisonment that you think God is the one like this as your guard. When it's the law pointing you to your freedom. Saying, don't stop here. There's, the law isn't in relationship to you going to set you free. It shows you how you are captive. And that's the other thing here that he says. He doesn't just stop there. He says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came. A guardian um, in this way, and it'd be easy to kind of read guardian as into our own interpretation, but the actual Greek guardian here was uh, paedagos, the word for pedagogy. And actually, this person would be someone in Greek and Roman culture. When he wrote this to the Galatians, they would recognize this word and this name as a tutor. That's what it means, right? Pedagogy, tutor. It was a person who would actually take care in that time for the the Greek and Romans. Actually, in Galatia, they probably had tons of these. Of people who would take care of the boys from ages 6 to 16. And they were disciplinarians. Some of you have really felt this before. And they would watch them. And they would watch them as their parents were away. And they would make sure they were in line. And it says specifically they would make sure they would get to and from places like school. (laughs) They would watch them and make sure they didn't get out of line and didn't mess things up or didn't get in the way of things that were going on around them. But you can think about that. To the degree that being feeling the law in this sense of a prison guard exasperates your badness on this side a personification of the law as a pedagogue you know like someone who's tutoring you really is tricky because this one as I know for me on this side it really makes me think I can do better that's great that's exactly what and maybe that's what Christianity is to you it's a betterment Jesus is awesome, I love Jesus, but he's a great teacher. That's where he carries me the furthest, right? He's a tutor, and that's where I learn the most. I can better myself. It's a supplement. It, it drives you, it motivates you. Instead of maybe feeling your badness, you're like, yeah, tomorrow morning, I'm gonna take this sermon and I'm gonna apply it, <laughs> which is great. But that's where we can often stop. We can stop where the law is simply a guardian, Tutors are great. We go to a million tutors, don't we? All of us do. Uh, we go to, we look for personal trainers to help us get our bodies in check. We go to financiers and, and financial planners to get our finances in check. We, we, we follow specific Instagram uh, uh, um, uh, posts in order to help us know what we can do best in our homes and our clothes and our life and all those kind of things. We, we have tutors all throughout our life. We love that. 
So Jesus could just be the best tutor, right? Couldn't he just be the best one? Well, if we're doing that, we're actually not having a relationship with Jesus so much, so much of the law. We're simply setting up a new law. And that's what Paul was trying to get at to them. He's saying, look, you're replacing, you're forgetting. In all of your badness to trying to be good, the law is what you're still trying to relate to. This is why he puts it in personification, to say the intimacy can only go so far. It can't be full and true intimacy and relationship as what it means to be with Jesus. That's why he says that so then the law was our guardian until Christ came. Right? But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. That we're still trying to have this relationship when it can't. It can't provide that intimacy. There's a great book. Um, have you ever read uh, Dan Allender? He's a, an author, thinker, psychologist. He actually writes a lot of books with a guy named Trimper Longman, who's a th- uh, seminary professor. Dan Allender, though, wrote a book on uh, parenting called How, to, um, How Children Raise Parents. And it's not just actually, if you read it, it's not simply a book on uh, being a parent. It actually is what it means to be a person. Um, it's beautifully written. One of the things he talks about is this very thing, is about how we understand intimacy and true and false intimacy. He said, intimacy brings a sense of safety. It's supposed to. But as long as the rules are obeyed in many ways that we live, the intimacy can last. But if you disobey, though, you run the risk of exclusion and loneliness. This is paid for intimacy and rule-based acceptance, making the sense of safety an illusion. And in truth, this was neither safe nor intimate. This was like growing up in that house. We can experience that. The law, hey, look, Paul is not bashing the law. He's not saying it's bad to understand the Ten Commandments, to have law in life, to live and build off of those things. But the problem is, we think that is life. We think that's what brings us intimacy. What's the difference between Christianity and anything else is not rules. Otherwise, it's just like that. You come through these doors, you hear some, you know, some guy yak for half an hour, and you leave, and then what do you get? Intimacy's good enough, only if you follow this. Is that what Christianity is? If it is, then we're still living under that guardian, and we're still believing that we're imprisoned. Paul is saying, we have a deeper, more intimate, safe way to grow in Christ. See, under the law, it's different, but in Christ is what transforms not only life, but how we even see the law. There's a, in this passage, Paul says this. He says in verse 26, for Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Look, see the difference? What's the difference? Being under the law says, I'm going to treat you as a tutor. I'm going to treat you as someone who's, I'm going to discipline you and grow you up. But what he says, you're not, you're not in that way. You're no longer, you're not imprisoned. You're free. And you're not just free. You're now a child. You're naturally brought into the family. And what does that really mean? Isn't it different when your parents... When you grew up in your house, whatever it is, no matter what your relationship is with them or was with them, isn't it different when they taught you than any other tutor in your life? Why? 
even as unnerving and annoying and everything else as it is, why is it different? Because they know you. They know what it's like when you wake up and you're cranky. They know what it's like when you haven't eaten. They know what it's like when you have bedhead. They know what it's like when you don't do your homework and you get in trouble. Right? They know what it's like when you fail at something. They know what it's like when you've gotten your heart broken. See, it's like being a son or a daughter different than just under a tutor. That intimacy comes in because God doesn't just want you to be someone he tutors. He calls you his son and daughter because he wants to you to know the intimacy and safety gets into every nook and cranny of your life, no matter how annoying and how difficult and unnerving it is, that relationship is far deeper than you would even want and maybe even expect. But it is exactly what you want and need. Because it gets into the parts of your life where you're afraid of anybody to know, oh, it's way easier. It is way easier, isn't it? to have just a tutor that we can live up to. It's like having a, just a good boss. It's like the law is great. It sets me up to succeed. Maybe if I fail, I can set up a new bar and do it. But we never really know if we're loved and really, never really know if we're safe. And what God does is he brings us in Christ. He says, baptized into Christ. Kind of a strange thing. And, and that word, even the preposition, you may have heard this before, but I do want to highlight this because especially in a church where you may be, again, coming in to um, listen and maybe you're visiting or maybe you're new to Christianity or maybe you've been burned or born or cynical from it. There's a preposition that a lot of Christians throw out in Christ. Oh, you're in Jesus. Oh, you're in we use that preposition. Do we actually know how profound that is? See, it, 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 most of the time we can come into church and ask the question, hey, how's your relationship with God? That's actually what, what it means. It's talking about what's called union with Jesus. How, what's, our, what's your relationship with God? That's what most of us think that means. What baptized in Christ is asking is, how close is his relationship to you? It's actually at turning it on its head and saying, how close is Jesus to you? You know, how close is he to all of your life? What does it really mean that we're baptized in him? That every page of the Bible is actually crying out something besides us trying to come and say, Maybe on a new, uh, you know, I'm going to turn over a new leaf in January. I'm going to read through the Bible. I'm going to try and be more spiritual. I'm going to try and get into church more. I'm going to try and do all these things. And we set up all these ways that we can live under that tutor. But what he's saying is the opposite. How can, Christ, how can you see yourself more in Christ? It is such a difficult thing to understand. I was trying, I have been trying, and in fact, theologians over the centuries have tried to explain <clears throat> What is it like to be in union with Christ? Paul does it in this way so uh, beautifully. With this small illustration, you could miss. He says, as for many of you who were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Now, when he says put on Christ, it's not like a, just a put on like deal. What he's actually saying and what you, they would read in Greek was actually a garment. It was a garment that someone would put on and it was so large it would envelop themselves. And in fact, some say that it would, it would close around someone and define the way that they looked, define their actual being. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but there are people in our, um, 
in our church, they're actually stylists um, that actually style people for a living. I don't know if that's something you do. Some of you may do that, and I don't even know. Uh, some of you may just have a knack for that. But when I've talked to them about what that's like, uh, one of the things that if you ask somebody who styles someone, uh, they don't start, you would think uh, it begins by you going to a store or like, what do you want to wear, you know? Uh, me, many of you may know this already. This is me, the very ignorant person that I am about this. They said, no, 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 no. It starts with us actually going to your closet and seeing what you do wear. I mean, talk about like a really <laughs> like insecure thing is to let some person, now I guess you pay them or, or, or maybe they do it as a friend, uh, but to come into your closet and say, what, you, you, you still wear that? Like this happened to me this morning. I'm wearing a coat and, uh, and someone said to me, that's a great coat. And I said, man, this is amazing. I've finally hit that space where I've had this coat for so long that it's come all the way back around and I get compliments for it again. Uh, that's, I mean, I'm glad that it's a good looking coat, but that also makes me go, man, I've held on to this thing for a long time. What else am I holding on to? It makes you think, what do I really always put on in the morning? See, what, what that stylist does, what that person does is go in and say, what are you used to wearing that you think defines you? What do you think really makes you you? I, I, as I've uh, gone, some of you have noticed, I've actually gotten some new shoes lately, which that for me is a big deal. I went in and asked uh, these folks, that I, actually one of the guys I knew, I said, hey, man, I need some help. Can you help me? Like, what? <laughs> I need new shoes that don't have holes in them and actually I can wear. And, uh, and so they, they were so nice. So I actually got new shoes. I walk out. And, you know, you get that sense of feeling like, no, this is kind of nice. Like, there is that little sense of, even if it's a big thing or a little thing, like, yeah, you know, I changed. I did a little turn on my on myself there, a little, 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 bit, little better on these things, you know? And, but there's a sense of this, what, what Paul is getting at when he talks about envelop, there's a word of envelopment, that this garment actually is not one that just you put on and off, but it's one that has so surrounded you that every part of you is defined by it. So that when we put on Christ, it's not like an addition, like shoes or a sweater or something like that. It's actually God going in, showing us all the ways that we think we're putting on the definition of us and saying the only thing that can robe you, the only thing that can envelop you is this garment of Christ. And this is what it means. It means every turn and page of the Bible. If we are that enveloped in Jesus, in our union with him, this is what it does to every story and account in the Bible. It actually takes every account in the Gospels, and it means that you are wrapped up in him in that moment. It means every place where he is obedient Every place where he is speaking to someone, you are wrapped up in him. There, there are some people I talked to recently are taking a trip to uh, Israel. And a lot of people get to do that. I, hopefully one day I'll be able to do that. But one of the things that's so fascinating about that, I can't wait to see one day, is to think and even imagine now that every 
dusty path that Jesus literally walked. Every person that he touched, every word that he uttered, every action from his birth to the cross, feeling the anguish and pain of not only rejection, but physical torture, and then rising again from the dead, from the grave, you are enveloped in that. If you want to know the distinction of Christianity and anything else, when we talk about union with Christ, nothing else, not the law, nothing else in all history can give you the true safety and intimacy that you and I long to have other than being enveloped in the one who knows every nook and cranny of us, who takes us in and yet takes us with him all the way. The application of his life. If you want the Bible to come alive to you again, don't do it to try and make, hey, I'm gonna work through it in a year. Go in it to say, God, I want you to work through this in me through this year. Take your word and show me. Take the scriptures, the Bible, and show me how you have taken me in Jesus and I am united with him. And all the doubts, all the fears, all the shame, all the badness that I hear myself about and I believe about myself because of the, the law tells me that and all the ways I'm self-righteous and say, I do not need Jesus at all. Show me again how the only way to understand safety and intimacy and actually grow in this house is in Christ. This is what Paul, this is what C.S. Lewis said beautifully. When he actually was asked, he was talked about, what does it mean to put on Christ? He said this. He said, there are two kinds of pretending. There's a bad kind where pretense is there instead of the real thing, but there's also a good kind where pretense leads up to the real thing. That's why children's games are so important. They are always pretending to be grown-ups, playing soldiers, playing shop, but all the time they are hardening their muscles and sharpening their wits so that the pretense of being grown-ups helps them to grow up in earnest. What are we doing when we're putting on Christ? It's not just what's an action of us living in who we are in. It's in Christ. And that's what's magnificent about coming to this table. This table is a picture of us growing up in earnest. This is why we come to it every week. And we come to it because the body and blood that is given here and shed and broken is, is an action taken by Jesus, not for us to bring another law, not for us to try and keep something just so we can say we did. It's actually coming so we can say, God, continue to get into me. Wrap me up. As much as we take in, because what? It's not my body, it's not your blood, it's his that's given. So it's all the shame, all the self-righteousness, all the ways that you think you can earn this table, no, you can't. And this is why Paul even ends in this way. How does the application, how can you leave these doors and not just end here? He, this is why he gives the application. Verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, no, neither <clears throat> no male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. What is he doing? He's not eradicating distinctions. We have distinctions in life. He's eradicating the way that we put ourselves either superior or inferior in all the awful attitudes we have each other. Because why? When you come forward to this table, no matter what you think about your superior race or inferior race, however you think you are in your gender, 
however you think you are, in all of the class system and position in life, we all stand shoulder to shoulder. And we all take the body and blood of Jesus. And we all leave. And if we want to really address, this is how amazing, the three of the things that we deal with today, Paul's applying the gospel to, if we really want to address those things when we leave these doors, we can't do it through any other way but being enveloped in Jesus himself. That's how we answer those questions. That's how we come to this table. We come celebrating our faith in Christ. Let's stand now.